2K video. Our baseball team played at Burns Stadium and became the Albuquerque Isotopes when they moved. That is both real Calgary history and a Simpsons story. I'm Nathan Rohr, formerly of Village Square Co-op's produce department, and I'm joined as always by Ryan McCullough. Hey there, Ryan here. Uh, yeah, I mean, one of those things is uh, great and one of those things isn't so great. I myself am not a Burns Stadium fan at all. Remember even being a kid and sitting in the stands and being like, this is a baseball stadium? Like, this doesn't seem that big. And that was as a kid. It, it wasn't very big, but I, I just remember you could easily get behind a certain area where all the foul balls seemed to go. So you could just, like, harvest them. But they'd have grass stains on them because they landed hard in this little, like, area between the fences. Do you know this spot? Uh, Yeah, no, I know this spot where you're talking about. I just Okay. Did, it's just the thing is, like, the stadium, like... It was just, yeah, it's just a poor placement because it's right next to Crowchild Trail. And then it backs oh, yeah. on to the parking lot to McMahon Stadium. So it's just like, yeah. there's no Which is space, our football stadium. Which, yeah, which is actually a pretty decent football stadium. Like, it's a decent-sized football stadium. Mm-hmm. And, but then it just leaves no space for, like, decent stands. Like, have you been to see the Okotoke Dogs, like, stadium? No. It's like, no. it's not, it's about the same size, but it looks infinitely better. Okay. So I mean, I've been to the like Atlanta Braves stadium, which is way bigger and way gnarlier, but I don't think we could sustain that much baseball interest in our city. <laughs> so Yeah, it's true. Yeah. No, it's very, very true. Um Yeah, I don't know. And then the like the Albuquerque Isotopes is just a great great episode. So well, because, that, yeah, that's like a real, like, oh, no, the team's going to leave Springfield. This is terrible. And it's like, that actually happened to our city. Like, they literally went to New Mexico <laughs> and became a different team. Yeah. And they named them the Isotopes. I don't know if that was just because of the Simpsons thing or what yeah. the history was there. But, yeah, art imitates life. I don't know. Yes, that's true. Or vice versa. Anyway, enough about baseball, which will probably no longer be being played in 2379. That's my prediction. <laughs> uh, We're looking at some space horror this week. And what better way to do so than by taking a look at the franchise that really kicked that subgenre into overdrive, the Alien series. It's very true. Yeah. Uh, this is the fourth film in the series, though, Alien Resurrection, which is probably not anybody's first, second, or perhaps even third choice for standout in that series but we already did our coda episode uh about aliens anyway and alien 3 so we're just looking at, for, at this one because we think it's interesting yeah right true. no i mean or like compelling that's, yeah it's man it sits out like i like to think of the alien movies as a trilogy and then there's alien resurrection just hanging out over in the corner like it's trying to be a sequel, like kick off a new wave of something with this. Well, we'll get into the scenario they they cook up here. Yeah, like it's whatever. It's, it's it's like its own separate beast. Like it's like if anything, like if if the first movie is like just trying to be a space horror, simple in space horror movie, and then this and with like talking about AI and stuff like that. The second movie is like let's just make it like a pure action film, and the third one kind of brings it back to its roots. And like wraps up the whole Ripley storyline, this fourth one feels like a staple, like a somebody stapled on the an ending and actually said, oh, "No, like here's actually part four. Like, like it's, also it's, this happens. Yeah. Like it's kind of like how I imagine the Matrix Four movie is gonna go. Like it was, where it's just like, oh, let's Ugh. just staple this ending on. 
where we like actually had an, an okay, and I'm putting okay in brackets, like not a great ending, but even two and three kind of feel like a staple at the end of a one. And mm-hmm. then to add a fourth one, just be like, no, actually, it's a quadrilogy. And you're like, that's not true. Well, is this fourth matrix supposed to kick off its own trilogy and I, have its own reason I, for existing? I, I think I think so, but I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Anyway, uh, so Alien Resurrection uh, came out November 28th, 1997. Uh, it was directed by Jean-Pierre Junet. It was the first time he directed something by himself. Yeah. Uh, and also his Hollywood debut. Uh, and I think the last thing he ever did in Hollywood, if yeah, I recall. about that, I think so, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I, I went through afterwards being like, oh, yeah, this is this guy. Like, this is the Amelie guy. Uh, yeah. And, yeah, I think he just went back to France. He found this process kind of frustrating, but we'll get into some of that, I guess. Uh, it was written by Joss Whedon. And it cost seventy million dollars and brought in one hundred sixty-one million, but only forty-seven point eight of that was domestic, so it was kind of seen as a failure. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, it was the lowest grossing uh, in the United States, so of the whole series. Mm-hmm. So yeah, uh, but yeah, it brought in one hundred thirteen point six international, which France maybe liked it. I, I don't know. <laughs> it's it's a. Yeah, a little more eccentric maybe than some of the other ones, but we'll we'll get into that. I'm going to tell you the tale of Alien Resurrection in uh, one kind of big paragraph here, so okay. here we go. In the distant future, Wayland yutani has been purchased by Walmart and is no longer the go-to name for the bioweaponization of alien species. For that, you have to go to the United Systems military, who are all too happy to jump headfirst into some ill-advised mad science. Their latest project involves one Ellen Ripley, who has been cloned along with the xenomorph queen inside her. Dr. Jonathan Gediman is able to keep both the host and parasite alive, resulting in a hybrid Ripley that has acidic blood, super strength, and basketball prowess far beyond those of the original Ellen. A crew of space pirates unwittingly is about to kick off a full-scale alien revolt. However, as they... (laughs) Oh as they have been tasked to provide hosts for the USM's latest daft experiments. And thus begins the fourth film in the Alien Quadrilogy, and undoubtedly the slimiest of them all. I found this movie very slimy. <laughs> I didn't recall <laughs> levels of slime. Oh, it is, it is, like, it feels so filthy, like, at times. Like, everyone, everyone just has a grease or a grime to their skin yeah. at all times. I almost felt that was like maybe this is all byproducts of the human hybridization of the aliens. Like they have mucus glands or something that they didn't yeah. have before. Uh, but yeah, there's there's something going on here. No, I think but, it was an aesthetic choice, obviously, because like even even all the xenomorphs are like they're expelling ooze off their face mouth, like at levels. That oh yeah, they're just before. like dripping goop off their maw. <laughs> Just like it's like, where is this coming from? Because it's always off screen. But it's like, what is what part of their head is producing this uh, copious amount of mucus? They're like, like sweating slime. I, yeah. I'm not really sure. Uh, but yeah, Brad Dourif is uh, Doctor Jonathan Gediman, who I decided to highlight. Uh, I went into this movie remembering his performance very fondly. Uh, yes. <laughs> so oh, he was Brad like is, the guy to beat. Yeah, yeah Brad is having a, a grand old time in this movie. Like all the way through. Like I really enjoy, <laughs> I really enjoy the scene that like sets up his like capturing scene. Yeah, like, yeah, I thought that it's was great. A, it's all that sequence, and then 
And then his, because you, I say captured because you think he's dead, but then like later in the movie, he, he's shown to be like, he's going to be harvested to, mm-hmm. for the queen. But that scene, like when he's like, like bundled up and he's talking to Ripley and what's really talking to the audience about what's happening here. And he is just, he's overacting through his voice in the best way that you could ever like it's, when they're in the in the cafeteria together, or no, no, when no. He's... at the end of the movie when he when the queen's carrying Ripley oh. to show her the newborn, and he is just like telling her all the beauty, the beautiful things that she's doing for her, and he's yeah. just he's just no like, his return it. in the last act is fantastic, and yeah. I I really like it. I also love his scene where he's just like taunting aliens through the glass <laughs> yeah. and like, like like just his grits teeth, his right? teeth yeah. at it to like. But maybe he doesn't know it has a second mouth or doesn't think it can snap out that fast or whatever, but he gets startled by it and yeah. then reacts very pettily. But well, this like is a couple it. hundred years in the future. I think like nobody's seen a xenomorph since the Alien 3, so he's clearly lived a whole life never seeing a xenomorph. They might have only ever heard about them. Right. Because they, there and was no one to even study them, so he probably didn't know about the internal mouth. That would be like what I would posture. Right, I'm just trying to remember if it kind of shows off that it has one before it jumps out at him, but whatever. Not, I don't think right to him, at least. Yeah, so. uh, but okay, before we, we get into that, uh, just looking at the credits, I was happy to see that Sigourney gets a co-producer credit here, yes. so she got more money than ever before for appearing in one of these. Well, that's the thing, it's like she was done, like Alien 3 was like, oh, it's the end of my story, and then it was like, the way that she... <laughs> The way that she describes why she came out to this movie is they backed up a dump truck full of money. Like, yeah. That's that's how she <laughs> Like they just it. drove a dump truck full of money up to my house. So yeah. here sure. I am. Here I am. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh but yeah, she got about eleven million, I think, for this, which yes. is pretty nice. Um the movie starts with like her narrating, but it's like a newt quote from the second movie. Yes. Which I th- I was trying to like figure what they were doing with that. Like, are we just kind of establishing that as the tone we're going for as the second movie's vibe or what is the purpose of this? No, but... I don't think so. I think it's more to do with like uh, <laughs> Joss Whedon, like playing fan service because the third movie was so like hated by fans yeah. of the alien franchise. Well, it also like early in development was supposed to be Newt is cloned, which doesn't make any sense, no. which is why well, they stopped doing that. <laughs> that's not true at all because she like the theory goes that she also because she also got impregnated. So like that's like because her her seal got sh- like um destroyed, but she also could have got preg- impregnated by the well, but xenomorph. she drowned in her tube. Yeah, because right? of a crack. But like that means it's the same thing with this doesn't make a lot of sense anyways because how can you get Ripley's DNA and then get a xenomorph from this DNA? So let's, only, not, let's set that yeah. aside because that's not possible. Well, Rip- I have a fan theory, I guess, okay. but whatever. But here's the thing. like, But Newt also got um, impregnated by uh, a face hugger. So, yes, she drowned, but she still has like the same thing. Like she would, Her DNA would be corrupted by an alien inside her chest. Like the same thing with Ripley. I thought they, well, there's the whole autopsy scene where they determined that didn't happen in three. No, yeah, so then it makes no sense. No, like, I think they ran out of road on this track early, and we're like, wait, no, let's just try to get Ellen back, because at least that can sort of work. And my assumption was that, like, Charles Dance's character drew some blood post her being impregnated, but after like crash landing or whatever so there's just blood vials on the planet that they would have put into evidence or something 
when sure. they went through there. Yeah. That's the only way I can tie that this makes any sense at all. Oh, this, <laughs> you know? this is like easily like, oh man. Like, One of the most remember tenuous. This is 1997? Yeah. What, what happened a year earlier? Do you remember what happened a year earlier to this? Dolly the sheep. Dolly the sheep happened. And yeah. so this like cloning became like, this is why sixth day became a movie. Like the sixth day screenplay started being written the day after this came out. Yeah. Like, and so Joss <laughs> yeah. sat down and he was like, oh, what's hot? And like, how can we get Ripley back? Cloning's a hot button thing. Let's talk about it, type of thing. Like, not, not that, yeah. that's not even like that's not even accurate. He didn't say let's talk about it. He was just like, I'm gonna use that. Let's there's, use that as a device to no gin up this excuse. This movie, this movie tries to moralize, like the her being cloned and not being a real person. But really, yeah. it just it ends up being an empty conversation between Winona Ryder's character and Ripley's character about her like legitimacy to to live, to be alive. But then we also then find out that Winona Ryder is just. A robot, so she has the same claims to life as she was saying Ripley had to life. Right, we'll get into that too, I guess, because her <laughs> her androidness is a little weird oh, man. Uh, as well. Well, that's but, like uh, yeah. There's there's one good line of dialogue that help explain like, helps explain why she's so different. Okay, so but we'll get uh, into it. <laughs> so yes, after after being successfully cloned and uh, the alien being extracted. She survives this procedure, uh, and they decide just for just mad scientists being curious. I guess they decide to stitch her up and see how she does. Uh, for some reason, she's in this weird cocoon, which I thought was actually kind of a neat, weird, surreal scene. But I don't really know why that happened. <laughs> like she's writhing around in this like thin cotton veil, uh, and then tears her way out of it like, like a bug. A, I guess I think it's but... like a placenta sack is what they're trying to imply. Yeah, it's really weird. Yeah. Uh, but yes, so this new Ripley is just kind of on the ship. Uh, this It's not a space station. It is a spaceship. The Aguira, I think it's called. Okay. I can't remember. Yeah. Oh, that makes uh, sense, right? Because of uh, what's his face? The Explorer in uh, South America. Oh, is that what it's alluding to? Okay. It must be. If it's Aguira. Oh, it it's spelled differently than our our guy Klaus Kinski. Oh, okay. But well, yeah. the real life human being that Klaus Kinski played. Oh, sure, sure. The <laughs> Conquistador. Yes. Played by a German. It's it's a good movie though. <laughs> anyway, um, okay. So this crew of pirates shows up with a bunch of stolen bodies. Uh, how did you feel about our pirate crew here? They get introduced. Uh, I liked some of them and really didn't like others. I think that's I, about I, accurate for when it comes to a pirate crew. Uh, sure, but I I remember being a kid. I watched this movie when I when it first came out because I was I loved the Alien series growing up, and so yeah. I remember it coming out and wanting to go see it in theaters. I didn't get to go see it in theaters because my parents didn't want to take me, which is weird that they drew the line at that, but not Scream Two. Um, but what was this rated in Canada? Do you think this was eighteen? Was or? there the fourteen A eighteen A at the time? That that didn't get introduced until much later. Was it yeah. okay? Anyways, well, when uh, I was going to I movies was, in like 2001, that was established. I think but. it was 14A, honestly. Uh, okay. Because there's not even a drop. Yeah, there's not even a. I think it's PG 13 in the States because there's not even an F bomb. The F bomb is. Oh, like, no. Th- th- this is an R rated movie. Like, really? Oh, for sure. I, I'm oh, actually. Yeah, that's right. No, the alien. <laughs> the alien. Like, yeah, the headshots. That's right. Okay, I completely forgot about that at the moment. <laughs> yeah. There is definitely uh, like some pretty hardcore kills in this movie. But it has kind of like a sort of jaunty, somewhat comedic tone at times, which softens it a bit. But I don't know that Canada would like that. They might actually hate that. 
Yeah, in we, their we have system. this like weird thing around violence that if it's like if it's uh comic violence, we kind of get really worked it's up. It's like, about hey, it. that's irresponsible violence. Yeah. That's not good. And if yeah. it's sexual violence, we get really upset about it. We're like, no, that's like we're putting that a hard R on that, which is like in Canada. There's like a little like, red octagon around it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like you nobody can it's like it's the Americans version of the N C seventeen is our is our R. Was Fear.com rated that? R? Yeah, that makes I sense. I just seem it's... to remember being in a movie dome and like seeing that poster, which I hate, and being like, oh, wow, that's like a R-rated movie, yeah. <laughs> you know? That wouldn't shock me, uh, but at the same time, because there's weird sex stuff in that movie, too. Yeah, yeah, like sex that's, that's just what you're reminding me about. Um, I-, I could see this being somewhere in between, because there's like, the last act gets a little... Let's say Cronenberg-y. Uh, th- oh, there's some you, body horror elements. And we'll know. get into this too, but you should like, we'll talk about what what originally was going to be. Like, Sure. It was even like, more that's so. My, that's even like my, that's my favorite anecdote from this movie is what, what the original newborn was going to look like. Is the behind the scenes yeah. of some of this stuff, but uh, okay. But yeah, no, this movie, you, you talked about this like comedic tone that happens and I'm like, I totally agree with you that there is a comedic tone. There's like this in- inherently silly premise that kind of comes up in a lot of the dialogue that's being played out. It's a lot of like, like even the yeah. scene between George, uh, no, what is it? Dan Hidea. Hi- yeah. Dan Hidea. Yeah. And um, the captain of the pirates. It's yeah. like, this is the silliest future thing I've ever seen because it's like, they're still like, this is well set in the future where we know credits is a thing and they're mm-hmm. still dealing in like physical cash they have these weird bullion cubes that are huge bullion cubes to make this yeah. little bit of liquid. And you're like, yeah. this is not good future tech, guys. This is really I, 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 tech. That scene specifically had like several elements in it I kind of wanted to comment on. Like you get some, kind of some of this like crappy attitude from Michael Wincott's character. He's the captain. <laughs> yeah. Like which in the new light of like Joss Whedon's like the allegations against him about his abuse on set and everything. Yep like kind of hit me wrong this time. Some of the stuff that character specifically was saying, yeah, there's just kind of a casually misogynistic thing going on with this guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Dan Hedaya, I generally just really like him. Cause he's got like the most insane eyebrows in the business. Yeah. And, well, like, and he just plays everything. Honestly, man, like he shows up in everything. Yeah. Like, yeah. He is, uh, in the same year, he's in night at the Roxbury and he plays like Chris Kattan and Will Ferrell's dad. Oh, okay. Uh, but yeah, he just hands like this big mountain of cash money over to <laughs> Michael Wincott. And then, yeah, they thaw out with a laser, a, a cube of whiskey, uh, whiskey to toast their success or whatever. Uh, uh, and yeah, the, the captain and his crew just kind of want to hang out on the ship for a couple days just to recoup or whatever before they head back out, yeah. which is a real bad time to choose to do that. Yes. Uh, but yeah. Uh, basically, I I don't think the crew knew that they had stolen bodies. No, they they totally knew that they were stolen bodies. Oh, okay. Just there, there's a scene where like uh, is it Gary Dordan? Like he's uh, he's the like guy the from one... CSI. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Yes, Gary Dordan. Christie, I yeah. think his character's name is. He has like taxi driver pistols. He's got the know? two pistols attached to his arms. Yes. Yeah. Uh, just I think he comments when they find like this warehouse room. He's like wait, this is the same stuff that we stole or whatever. Like, he's, like, talking about it like it's crates or something, but it's clearly body tubes, you know? Yeah. Like, cryotubes. But, like, the way that they act towards um the the one person that they did carry over, uh, Leland Orser's character, Purvis. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, they they kind of just act like yeah you were we knew what you were like like um yeah but no one a rider knew that he was like like that he's one of the people that they just went to deliver like they like they, they stole him. a person from a flight or whatever yeah like, like they they yeah. stole some containments to be sacrificed to this program like they knew exactly what they're doing whereas like the only reason why Call is her name yeah is on there is because she's got this like. She's a rebel, a rebel robot who is going to take down the military. Yeah, because uh, she gets wind is, of what's happening with the experiments that are happening on this. Front. Right. Some of the behind the scenes stuff was gonna like explain it more explicitly. Like she read the surviving guy from like Fury One Six One's book about what went down, and is like, oh, dude. Like they're th- that's what this is. We gotta go stop this. So like she volunteers on this crew Wait, to like vol- intervene. She reads, she reads about this guy's book and puts it together that they they must be cloning Sigourney Weaver and creating more xenomorphs. Like th- there must that must be what they're after is trying to get these aliens back into play. Like if if they found this blood or whatever. I I don't know how she pieces all of it together. Yeah. But uh, if I read the novelization, maybe I would know. Yeah, man, those novelizations, like... there's some movies where I'm like, man, I should maybe start reading the novelizations because they get like early drafts of scripts. They get ideas that never, they got cut out and they utilize yeah. them in the books. No, it's interesting. Like you kind of get like the stuff, the trimmings around the edges of scenes get filled in more. Yeah. And it's like, well, this is sort of canonical because this was official Fox stuff. But sometimes, about but this. sometimes I've read novelizations and I know for a fact they're just like they made this up because they had to fill 50 pages. Like they had to get this assignment done on time. Or they had to fill 50 <laughs> like, pages because if you just adapt like a, a hundred minute movie into a book. Like that's going to be a seventy-page book. That's a pretty trim book. Yeah. At the so they have to fill yeah. it out, right? And so they fill it out with plots that don't like weren't in the movie. They just made them up themselves. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, this movie. So I wanted to get back to the comedy piece. This movie is so tonally weird because it's almost like the director and the writer weren't like they were one hundred percent not on the same page at all. Well, Joss Whedon has complained about like. The script is word for word what he wrote, but the tone is wrong, kind of thing. Yeah, like, like he, he, he was, was going like, for more comedic. Everybody than seemed to happened. be showing up and just like reading it straight, but then like it was like, oh, but this is like, like he's like, I think the biggest thing is like Ron Perlman kind of gets pointed as like the one guy who knows what he's supposed to be doing. Like he reads well, the lines, <laughs> yeah, the that they're supposed to be written, which makes sense because Ron is kind of like a smarmy, can play a smarmy like not cool person dick nice easily like a smart but in a way that like is entertaining and i wasn't too put off by i guess right like he yeah he gets put in his place a bunch of times by sigourney weaver which is nice to see but like he's introduced throwing a knife into like a disabled guy's (laughs) leg but it's still somehow like so silly the way like he's doing like gorilla ape sounds and then like throws this knife really oddly off of a balcony and then I don't know. He's just you're right. Ron Ron has kind of the B movie tone yeah. that maybe Whedon was going for, but <laughs> overall, like Dan Hedaya just kind of looks ridiculous sometimes. So I yes. think he's on the right page too. Like there's a scene <laughs> so where he casting, wakes up. His casting is on the right page. No, my favorite scene, Ooh. Dan Hedaya, is yeah. okay. Go ahead and tell your scene. I, my, I'll tell you mine in a sec. Well, like the, the it's like red alert. The aliens have broken out and the alarms are going off, and he wakes up. And just looks like at the door and he has the fuzziest shoulders in the world. (laughs) 
and it was just like, hey, good for you, not shaven, like yeah. just leaning scene, into it. My favorite Dan Hedaya scene, and like the, the scene that tells me this movie is a comedy, is the xenomorphs are loose, and he's trying to escape, and he he can't get onto a skate pod, but a, a xenomorph goes inside, so he throws a grenade and lands in the skate pod, and it blows up in our space, and he's yeah. like he's like saluting it as it goes. And then he realizes that there's a xenomorph behind him, and it like shoots out its little mini mouth in the back of his head. And instead of dying immediately because a ch- big chunk of his back of his head just exploded and brains went flying everywhere, he reaches back slowly and pulls out a piece of his own brain before going cross-eyed and then falling to his death or something. Like it is the yeah. dumbest, dumbest thing I've ever seen. There's notes on that scene in like trivia sections and stuff where it was like Fox didn't approve this, but it got a good audience reaction. (laughs) So they kept it in, which is like that tells you right there that audience reactions are just like you can fill up a room full of people that don't care about the alien movies and they're going to react to like a comical scene and be like, yeah, that was funny. And you're like, yeah, but does that fit in this universe we created? Like it's like, um, okay. Yeah. You know, you and I've talked about this before. It kind of reminds me of this scene that they did later in, in Breaking Bad. I think the end of season four. Um, oh man. My, yeah. Like, it's the scene that like really threw me. I, I have this like love hate relationship with Breaking Bad. Cause there's parts of it that like, I hate it because people love it too much. I think, I think people love that show way too much, but I also like, I understand that there's good stuff there. Like there's some really good stuff there. And that show gave me better call Saul, which I think is a w- far superior show. But, mm-hmm. um, there's one scene where what is it? Car- what's Carlos? Is it Carlos? What's the um, the big bad? Until- oh, Giancarlo Esposito's character. Yeah, Giancarlo Esposito's character. Ah, uh, yeah. He gets blown it's a- up. Gu- Gus Fring. Yeah, Gus. Yeah. Gus gets blown up in this old age old folks home, right? Like, cause he gets set up. I think it's the end of season five, actually. I think you're right. It was four. Okay, it was, it was season four? four. He walks yeah. out and like he gets blown up, and then he walks out half skeleton. Like, like adjusts his tie and then falls around dead, and you're just like have this sense of like, is this the Looney Tunes? Like, did Wiley Coyote? No, I remember watching this, and I phoned you right after I watched it, and was so mad because I was like, what is this? Is this like Batman Forever? Like, what are we doing here? <laughs> you like, know, no, that's fair because like I remember because I w- I had already tried many times to get into that show. Like, I I got really frustrated by season two's air- like the way they treated all those airplane scenes. Like the big oh, build up yeah. stuff, and I was like, "This is dumb" because it actually led to nothing. Like actual, no real payoff to those airplane scenes, other than an airplane crashed. Like it had nothing. To, it didn't have any real consequences. It for didn't the dramatically show. change much of the no. show. Yeah. So why hit towards it? I was really frustrated by that. Um. So I kind of quit on the show, and then you were like fully, fully into Breaking Bad. Like you really enjoyed it. And I know that that was the moment where you kind of were like, "Is this the greatest show of all time?" Yeah. It and kind then, of seemed then, like a misstep. Well, and then you get to the end of the show and you watch the finale, and that's the one thing I watched. I, wa- I did watch the finale with everybody else live. I was just like, is, "This is there's a giant question mark. Is is he a good person? Is he a hero? Like they kind of treat him like this giant hero, but the show's all about how he just destroys everyone's lives." Yeah, I don't know. I feel like Better Call Saul. And have you seen El Camino? And this is, I know yeah. this is the biggest side. I really yeah. love El Camino. I think like that's like the actual. Breaking Bad finale where it shows you that like no like Brian Cranston's character was just the worst human being ever and this is the real hero of the show and like the to... moral center of the show is Jesse yeah and Jesse has to escape and and he's reaping um Brian Cranston's decisions so right anyway so yeah the, like yeah Gus exploding maybe is like also big audience reaction but 
it are people happy? Like you really change tones abruptly. Well, it's just like same way with a big criticism yeah, is like how Perez. many how much bigger can you make? What is this? Why does Brian Cranston's character's name? I can't oh, remember. Walter White. Yeah, Walter White. <laughs> Cheese Murphy. But what's his uh? What's his like gangster name? Oh, Heisenberg. Heisenberg. How many times? Like, what? How much bigger can you make Heisenberg's like gangsterness? Like every single time the show, every season ends with a bigger moment of him blowing up a car to blowing up a hospital to blowing up like killing an entire gang with a automatic rifle, like a machine, like submachine gun. MacGyver business. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like this is. I don't know. I don't know. Anyways, it's just like it's one of those audience reaction moments where like, oh, this would be a cool moment, but this is actually fit the show we created. I mean, just, maybe it tracks too with like this is the fourth alien movie, so it has to get more absurd and like bigger and over the top in a way. I guess so, but like like the third movie had really violent kills in it and this movie needed more violent kills. Like that didn't that just doesn't track to me. That's all. This movie has really violent kills. Like those aliens, like there's that one scene, man, where uh Leland's character is like he's gonna burst at the end of the movie, and he puts the guy's head up to his chest, and then the xenomorph oh. goes through his chest, and then through the guy's head, and blows yeah. like, blood everywhere. And you're like, "This is graphic. This is a graphic." Well, but movie. that guy's like this movie's like uh, what's dude's name? Ian Holmes' uh, character or Paul? Well, Reiser? he's a traitor. Like he's a Paul Reiser. Yeah, Paul Reiser type ter- yeah. character where he's screwing this all up for everybody, so he has to die terribly. Yeah, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they do have to put a chest burster through his head. It's just, you know, it's just very graphic though. It's a very, it's pretty, it's pretty gnarly. Uh, hence why this is R rated and maybe R rated. I'm not really sure, um, up here, but yeah, uh, there's also the underwater section, which I kind of want to talk about too, which like, I'm not sure the violence is really the thing there. An alien does explode. But it's more just like how extensively all the actors are underwater for like yeah. big lengths of time, and it's stressful in a way. Like oh, I, I don't know. I find it's... I find underwater scenes incredibly stressful, especially when you have a sense that the actors actually there underwater. Because I'm yeah. like in my mind, I'm like I'm not thinking about what's happening in the story. I'm thinking about the work they had to do to film some of these scenes, and some of these takes are not short, quick takes. Mm-hmm. Like some of these takes are like, oh, they're on screen. Like cannot like I would. I would just have this deep sense of claustrophobia at all times filming these scenes. Yeah. No, it's and and like uh we own a writer specifically had actual trauma from when she was a kid. Yeah. Uh nearly drowning, so to be put into a position where you have to do that for a movie. Well, and not just is... that I heard of like a stuntman that passed out like nearly drowned because he was underwater for too long. Wasn't Ron Perlman also like Ron Perlman almost drowned at one point. Yeah. Like yeah, these are like like they were in training for a while to like make sure they got it right, I guess. But yeah. still, it's like these are really dangerous things to ask people to do. Yeah, 100%. and you're asking performers even, even to do in it. Controlled c- scenarios like this, like this situation where there's like right off camera, there's a dude with a scuba tank that can put a like give you oxygen right away. They're still training to go. Like if you're starting to panic and somebody puts a thing on your mouth, you're gonna swallow or breathe in some of the water that's connected between those things, right? You have to. There's like things you have to train. Did you ever look into um, it was Mission Impossible Rogue Nation? Like, oh, is there a water sequence? Or? Oh yeah, like Tom Cruise learned how to hold his breath for seven minutes. Oh, because it's a oh. he does a one shot scene. Is he in like a giant computer or something? Yeah, weird? he's is in that like that a, one? It's a giant okay. cooler scene where it's like 
rolling around and stuff like that, but he's actually there filming the scene and you're like, this is stressful. Like, this is so like stressful. You, Tom, Tom, but Tom you Cruise are going to die at some wish, point. Like, like you yeah. are going to die at some point. I know you think you're invisible. I think invincible, you're going to like end up a space god, a deity of some sort. That's fine. But in this life, in reality, you are going to die, Tom. And it's going to be on a set. Flying helicopters and going outer space. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Anyways. No, I, I don't envy the cast of this movie. Like, I think that was some of the first stuff they shot, too. So, like, really stressful way to kick things off. It's oh, yeah. like... Well, I think it makes sense too, if, you, if you're going to do prep right with the cast, you're going to want to do prep on this scene, and then you're going to want to immediately go into filming this scene because if yeah. you distract them with other things, they're going to forget what to do. For me, it'd be like, uh, who's the the French actor who's in a lot of the director's work? Dominic Pinot. Oh, the the gentleman in the wheelchair, yeah. Dominique. Yeah, Dominic Dominic Pinot. He he was so reliant upon. Uh, Gary Dorden's work in that scene because he's strapped to the back of him. Yeah. And, like, that's, like, the thing that ter- terrified me the most. Like, what are the signals that he has to be, like, like, Gary's controlling me right now. Do I just, like, get up and start moving and Gary has to, like, deal with, like, two people strapped to each other relying upon each other for, like, oxygen breaths and... Yeah. I almost hope it was, like, really easy to detach from him if you needed to. Yeah. <laughs> but I don't know. I don't know, man. Like, it, it it's is... A, a, it, it's like the sequence scene. looks really great yeah. though. Like compared to like I was comparing it mentally to like a bunch of James Bond movies that have underwater sequences and some of them are really dark and dingy and you can't really see what's going on. Yeah. Uh this looks great in comparison. Well, and did you, know? you read about this? Like they put in what did they put in the water to make it look more murky? Because it was like when they first filmed it, like they were like, Oh, this is too pristine looking. People are gonna think that this isn't real. They actually oh, I don't... up Oh, okay. I think they put. Milk I, I know in, in post processing they did some sort of silver luminous. Like, yeah, but I think process. they put in milk into the water to kind of give it a little, like less transparency look type of thing because it looked oh. too clear, like like a really nice swimming pool or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Are um, they swimming through coolant in the story? I think it's like. Uh, I think yeah, but water ship. is water is coolant though. Sure. Yeah, but. I guess maybe it's antifreeze or something. In the, I don't think it'd be antifreeze. I think it'd just be water. Okay. Anyways. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a great sequence. It's honestly like, and the trailers even understand that. Cause it's like, it's a big part of the trailers too. Mm-hmm. Um, also like the, uh, the aliens look good in those scenes too. Like for like the, we were talking the about CG early... aliens yeah. from 24 years ago. Yeah. No, yeah, they like, still hold up pretty well. Exactly. Anyways, it's, it's, I don't know, man. I, I, I can't get over the tonal weirdness of this movie. Like, it doesn't... I Do you can't... enjoy it, though? Like oh, the yeah. I have, a, I have a blast watching this movie. Because, like, Sigourney's there having a blast. Like, she is having a good time playing this weird version of Ripley. And I think that's the big... Like, a big... I hear a big reason why she came back is, like, this new version of Ripley was interesting to her. Um, sure. Where it's, like, she's half alien and just has, like, a very different, like attitude and mentality than ripley ever had yeah <laughs> like she's really strong and tough in this weird way yeah exactly uh, and she's very like very straightforward coming like she's very like headstrong and like we're like ripley kind of has this history of becoming like a, a begrudgent like leader where like she's happy kind of just like let somebody else take the lead but then she eventually has to step up because she's the only one capable of incompetence around yeah, her exactly. kind of thing yeah um yeah. whereas this in this movie, she's like right from the get go, like this is what we're doing, this is how we're getting out, this is where we're going, and it's like kind of great because then you get this like 
you have like with this Ron Perlman character playing another alpha type person and oh yeah they have some really good rapport in this no the, yeah there's a great scene where she basically just takes control of the group from him because he's <laughs> being very like aggressive and angry and then it's just like listen i'm gonna rip your tongue out just shut up <laughs> like do what i say kind yeah. of thing and just takes over the group oh, like man. there's some yeah there's some scenes in this movie where it's like this is this feels weirdly like improvise like so because there's that scene where she pinches like ron perlman's tongue and then she turns the call and says like do you need another souvenir and then yeah. it's like this weird like it seems like an app like she almost forgot her line and then she added it in the end i don't it doesn't seem like rehearsed and then the other scene that like really like always got under my craw it's like, so cheesy it's when dominic and ron are like they're landing on earth and the flames are going everywhere and they like are screaming and then they stop screaming, turn to each other and make a, a snarky comment and then start screaming again. Okay. At the end of the movie, have you? Did you? Which one did you watch? Uh, I watched the regular cut, like the, the whatever's on Disney Plus. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah, that's the theatrical. Do you not remember this scene at the end of the movie where like they're screaming? They're like, I, I thought they were kind of laughing at that point, but oh, yeah. they're like they're going ah, uh, like they're screaming ah. Uh. And it's like, this is so cheesy. Like you We're tell. burning up in the atmosphere. No. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And yeah. then, do you know how to fly? No. Uh, it's. Oh, right. Because Ron Perlman's in the co-pilot seat and he has no idea what he's doing. No. Like, it's just like, just grab the stick and pull. I don't know. Yeah, uh. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Like, this is such a cheesy scene. Like, but it's like, you can tell Joss is going for like a a fun scene, like with silliness, like more of a, in like that serenity style. But the director again, there's a there's a there's a language barrier. There was literally a language barrier. There was too. literally like a he language had, barrier. Yeah, he had translators on on set to help him navigate this uh, American production. But I don't know the way it plays. It's still like a, it's it kind of oscillates between like occasional moments of just B movie schlockery that's really stupid, and then actual like just messed up stuff with the clones and like the weird final act oh, stuff that border, i want to get into the body horror stuff in this movie like actually gets in like i body horror is like my number one like like horror like it gets under my skin it makes me sick to my stomach it makes me lightheaded it makes me want to like have bad nightmares like body like david cronenberg monsters in real in movies like freak me out big time yeah yeah that scene uh like rip like sigourney weaver's favorite scene in the whole movie the, the, the scene that she the reason why she signed up for this movie was like her exploring that the room of one through seven right um, yeah that scene like gets under my like i find ripley like when she finds a, like the number seven on the on the table that it's, yeah like, disgusting it's so disgusting I, right like the opening credits too have this weird kind of like biology interest like it's just kind of panning over flesh and like hair and like warping yeah like gooey looking eyes and things like it's just this kind of weird biology experiment or whatever that it's interested in yeah it's like the failed the the failed clones right type of thing when you get yeah when you get to these like fully realized like 3d sculpture things in these vats or whatever like these tanks It's just the weirdest horror show of like <laughs> biology, like concept art or whatever, just brought to life. Yeah. It's it's really messed up. Well, and then yeah, clone number seven is just writhing around and asked to be killed. Actually alive, yeah, like constant, yeah, like conscious and sentient. Like I imagine when uh, 
Rick and Morty made like the Cronenberg universe episode type of thing where they accidentally Cronenberg right. everybody. I think like they must have like they're they, they're legit referencing this this scene stuff because... like this. Yeah, no, it's so weird because like David Cronenberg actually was approached to make this movie, but yeah. he wasn't in interested in like doing someone else's sequel kind of thing. And, yeah, like, like walked he's away never from really it. wanted to just like jump on board to uh, somebody else's like concept. Right, if he was gonna make an alien movie, he'd make his own alien movie. Well, yeah, he sort of there's this big quote from him where it's like, I don't want to be like fighting the studio to make what I want to make. I would probably just make what they want to make. And I don't want to do that. Like, so it just didn't work out kind of thing. Peter Jackson was also approached and wasn't interested. Danny Boyle was also approached and wasn't interested. And that Peter Jackson movie would have been weird, huh? Right. Like post Frighteners. Like if this was what he did. Lord of the Rings where he like, like. Because at this point in his in Peter Jackson's career, he loved practical effects. Like he was all into like, yeah. like weird puppets. So we would have gotten some really messed up scenes, but then he might not have gotten uh, Lord of the Rings because of it. And then his whole trajectory of like CGI and 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 what he's done with Weta would have not have happened too. Yeah, no, it, it would have junked up that that trajectory. So I, I kind of like what we got here because it's so unexpected and strange. Mm-hmm. Like it it is very like in your face body horror in this in this bizarre way and i guess we can just get to the the final sequence with the the, the newborn. newborn which is brad durf's return into the picture yeah so which, brad durf does get killed captured nobody ever like, really it's something... almost like men in black where like just a hand grabs his head and like yes. yanks him yeah, and then he's crazy. just gone so you assume he's in bad way well, in a bad you kind way of assumed that all of the aliens people always complain that, like you never get to see an alien kill a human and it's like well they're not killing you they're capturing you so that the queen can impregnate you like that's that's what they're, yeah, they're, they're serving doing. the hive or whatever. Yeah. Like they're not so just Brad, trying to murder you. We do you. catch up to Brad Dura. There's a scene where like Ellen, like they're really close to, to escaping, getting back to their ship. And then Ripley hears the queen calling for her. And then she f- gets like, this is the weirdest. This is the weirdest sequence of events I've never under understood because wait, is the queen there and carrying her back to her hive? Because she's embracing something as they move, but the queen is also pregnant, attached to like that sequence of events of like her being captured, being well, pulled under she, the grate. No, yeah, she gets pulled through this grate. Uh, Call wants to save her, but can't, so they just run away. Yeah, and she says that's like, oh, this feels wrong, but okay, like there's nothing we can do. And then yeah, Ripley's just on this kind of like biological writhing mass of well, alien she's, no, and she's being carried by the queen because she keeps reaching up and touching the queen's face as the queen's carrying her towards something and it's i have to assume i have to assume that was a drone because no, the, but queen it's the queen is queen like because it has the giant skull like that's the thing and it's huge like a regular drone like a regular xenomorph is not big enough to carry sigourney weaver side they're the same size but i know it can't be because she's like late stage pregnant I with totally a human hybrid you. baby that's at why this, this point. scene makes no sense to me other than she can she's mobile while she's pregnant like that's the only thing that makes sense to me if she's mobile while she's pregnant and this like gestates really quickly after that point or yeah. she's unconscious for a little while i have to assume it's a drone like no no, no. Just... she's already started building this um newborn well before the scene yeah, I know. Yeah. That's why no, that's it doesn't what I'm saying. Like, I think she can move around like a pregnant woman can and can be nine months and still move around. I think she can just move around. It's just – it's a weird scene. Trust me. Like you go back and watch it. Um, She – that is the queen carrying her to show her that she's pregnant and going to give birth to something new. 
Okay. Anyways, but she gives yeah. birth to something new. She's actually birthing a xenomorph rather than uh, creating br- eggs. Rather than creating eggs that produce just face, face huggers and all and that. Pregnant. Yeah. Yeah, no, Brad Dourif gets to narrate all of this for us in yeah, this delightful great, decision. It's the best yeah. way to do exposition. Like, most of the time, exposition's pretty, like, terrible. Like, unless the movie can do it really cleverly, I'm, like, not on board. I get pretty frustrated. Yeah. But, like, this is actually really clever exposition because he's having a great time. It makes sense to why he's doing it. And mm-hmm. he's catching up another character rather than just catching up me, the audience. Oh, it's it's nuts though. Like, yeah. yeah, he he's he's plastered on the wall and all this slime, and then Ripley c- becomes conscious, and he's just talking to her ostensibly, but he's just like, and the greatest gift you've given th- <laughs> the human reproduction system, and it like pans over yes. this like awful pregnant belly yeah, of this alien like writhing, hybrid. It's writhing and stuff like that, and it's and, and yeah. then as it's born, it's just like you're a beautiful butterfly, and like and all this. I know. So, yeah, like, so Ripley, Ripley in this movie, we didn't get into this. Ripley in this movie has superpowers because she's got part of alien DNA. She also well, has acid yeah. for blood herself and some yeah. sense of like um, durability and able to sneak up on the xenomorphs like and kill them easier. Um, then that there's an equal transfer. So now the queen can also produce eggs but also has a human biological. So she can just – but the thing is like does that mean another xenomorph impregnated her or she has both inside of her? I'm not sure because it also lays eggs, as you'd expect, yeah. but then gradually over the course of the movie, apparently, it was also producing this other creature. Yeah, this newborn uh, is what's called. The newborn, yeah, yeah. which, is what a, just gro- what a freak show at the end of this movie. It's amazing. Like, uh, Yeah, this newborn comes out and it has like very different features. Like It has eyes for the first time. Everyone's always yeah. wondered, like, what, where, how did the xenomorph see? type of thing yeah. because they I think can... we've had that conversation on this show and yes. like is it like a bug is it sensing somehow through like feelers and we or know what's that going it can on? see because we have that first person shots in alien three in three um, so something yeah. they finally give it eyes but it's 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 this weird pasty white kind of like a, a Caucasian human it's just it, it's a it's like HR Geiger it's a wet dream happening right now on screen. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like, he apparently wasn't initially credited in this, and that was his only misgiving about the movie. He actually was really sad he wasn't still credited as, like, the alien creator. Which makes sense. Kind of thing. Which makes no sense, because this is this is the first time, like, they changed his uh, designs a lot over the years. Well, this they toned is... them down, like, less phallic, less biological, less, yes. like, unsettlingly sexual. Yeah. And this just, like, goes for it at the end well, of this movie. And when you find out, like, that they digitally scrubbed out some of uh, the more. Yeah. Like, you they talk came about this, out. <laughs> you talk about this phallicness and, like, deeply, like, biologically sexual nature of H.R. Geiger, which is there. And people make fun of Prometheus because... Um, Ridley Scott just kind of like used a few of his designs and didn't change any of them kind of as like mm-hmm. a homage. Like, so there's that, do you remember in Prometheus where the, the penis monster comes up out of the swamp and then inserts himself into the mouth? Oh, <laughs> okay. I remember seeing this movie in theaters and I love Prometheus. I love Prometheus. I think it's a great movie. People were giggling. Like there's people in this movie theater giggling cause they're like, Oh, that's a penis. Just came like, out of that swamp. There's and now something gonna, uncomfortable about it, and yeah. it's gonna go inside this guy's mouth and try to like lay seeds inside of it. Like, you, there's something there. Like, there's that's yeah. H.R. Geiger's stuff right there. This alien, this newborn, originally 
its stomach. And if you can go online and look it up, you can actually do, if you search newborn original design, you can see these images of her stomach, of his its stomach that has this this grotesque, like weird morph visualization of a what looks like a vagina and a penis mixed together. And yeah. it is gross. It's so gross. I mean, the quote from Junet was just like the studio hated this and was like, "You gotta get rid of that dude. Like, <laughs> yeah. it's just distracting." And it was like, you know what? Even for a Frenchman, we went too far, or something <laughs> like. There's, there's this kind of like admission of just like, yeah, okay, you're right. This, this really detracts rather than adds yeah. to these scenes, kind of thing. So, so here's, here's yeah, they digitally remove it, which is crazy post. when you think about. It. Like, I watched this movie again. And I was like, I look, every time I watch this movie now, I look for, like, because digitally scrubbing something in 1997 is a hard thing to do. So I'm mm-hmm. looking for, like, mixed patterns and stuff like that. And they I'm almost really curious, too. I think there might have been some shots just lost forever because you do get a lot of its upper body now in the way it's in final. Yeah. Whereas maybe there was more shots of it in its entirety that just wouldn't play. Yeah, because it would with- take too much time or money to, to scrub out. To really rework it or yeah. something yeah it's, no, I, it's kind of I, I, totally, I totally agree with you there's only a handful of shots where it would be in view and i'm just like looking for like like, like old scrubbing was like kind of lazy like it looked it would look blended it's kind of like remember when you watch episode one and you look at the skin of any aliens it has this oh, weird cgi like movement a, scrub to it yeah yeah that's yeah. what i was looking for in the belly because i was like that's what a digital scrub was back in those days it was just a mask all they did was well, I'm just thinking of like of the it. texture quality of like what what were those uh, big lizard creatures in like the special edition that they kind of added into Star Wars? Oh, uh, the okay. dewbacks. Yeah, the dewbacks. Yeah, like they'd walk by and just have like the lowest res like <laughs> skin in hindsight. Yeah. So or like original Jabba when gotcha. they added You're him back in. You're talking about special edition from the mid '90s type of thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. like '97. Yes, before technology. Episode One kind of technology like up the game yeah you have right. this yeah jabba from the original 1997's like new hope it yeah it's just like this mask and all it is is just like a mask they literally put this like flat 2d sculptor over top of a 2d print whereas like now this, there's like 3d yeah. rendering this back in the days didn't look 3d like jabba looked kind of well, like really basic cg that's yeah that's like tough to the lowest past. of polygon type stuff like again you're yeah. walking off the map of of red, red dead or, or gangs of uh uh, Grand Theft Auto. You're walking off the map. You're getting to the edge, and you're like, "This is this." Oh, is just quality dip. One. Yeah. Uh, mostly, what we're seeing is just this really impressive, really complicated animatronic creature. Yes. Uh, which is which is kind of a marvel in its own weird oh, way. Oh man, it, this thing is fluid and smooth and works really, really well. Uh, it emotes really well. Yeah. Like it has these incredible mood swings of just like the most like sad, sallow, like tragic Frankenstein's monster kind of thing going yeah. on, uh, where it just looks like the most tragic creature ever, and then it just gets so mad yeah, and this... like smacks the queen's head open. Well, there's and... this great scene where um, Call is like she. They're on this the the escape pod trying to. They're on the ship trying to escape, but. Uh, the hatch hasn't closed properly. It's because the newborn snuck on. So she gets sent to the back to, to see what's going on with the door and she runs into it and she's trying to run away and hide and she gets into this narrow space and, and this thing's clawing at her, but then all of a sudden it stops and it has this like eyes, like it's, it's eyes bridge up and like he looks, it looks so sad and mournful and then like calls like almost like brought at ease, like, Oh, I can trust it. And then immediately like it flips and like just grimace, anger, 
and yeah, it's it's impressive. It, did you ever see this video um, connected to the first Spider-Man film, like from two thousand one? It's I might have shown it to you. It's like uh, th- they did some test masks for the original Green Goblin, which was gonna oh, be a fully no. it was gonna be a fully animatronic mask. Okay, and it like it it looks like comics accurate. It has like. It has like there's there's test scenes where Willem Dafoe is acting with it on, and it's like and its mouth is actually moving. Oh, its and mouth, talking. its eyes. It's like it's super like it looks so good. But Sony hated it for two reasons. They're like, hey, it's too scary for a kids' movie because it was like when he grimaces, it's terrifying. Okay. And then B, they wanted something that was like stagnant because a toy would sell better. Sure, like just like a Power Rangers helmet kind of thing. Yeah, and that's like what just they throw he eventually on. gets in that, right? Was a yeah. That's why you can see Willem Dafoe trying his best to act through this helmet. Yeah, that's so. unfortunate. But no, like it being terrifying, this thing's weird looking. Yes. Like <laughs> it's very, it's very insane. I also wonder how like intelligent it is because it actually helps close the door. Like it actually seems to get what's happening. Oh yeah, it, at it, a point, it set, it set a trap. It sent it set a trap where it was like she came back out there. And it was like as soon as that person came in there, this thing closed the door. Like it, it, it reaches knew. over and grabs it and yeah. slams the door shut so they can leave. So there's a and, level of intelligence yeah. that this thing has that xenomorphs don't seem to have. Like xenomorphs kind of seem like velociraptors from Jurassic Park, where like they they have a pack mentality, they can set traps. But this right. one's like like understands oh, social yeah. cues. I guess part of its part of its like humanness too. It has its own will. Like it yeah. seems to not care at all about the the queen, obviously, because it kills it. Yeah, and and it's just it's on its own. It's just its own powerful, weird, murdering thing. It is weird uh, to see an infant like this thing comes out a newborn, and it's like yeah. wait, wait, wait. Like think about this. Like even like a, a xenomorph when it's born from a human chest, it's like a fraction the size that it turns into, right? Right. What does this newborn grow to? Like, is this full bone? Like, is this last? We don't get to know. know. Yeah, like. This is actually one of the things I really admire the finished product for versus what I was reading about Joss Whedon's original idea. Like he had a monster in mind that just sounded way different and kind of terrible. Mm-hmm. Like it had like weird blood sucking pinchers on it. Oh, yeah, and yeah, like yeah. it had none of the kind of like elements that are sort of sympathetic about it in the final form where it's just this weird like mixed emotions of like. I get that this thing's awful because I just saw it crush Raymond Cruz's head, but it's also like, what's it doing? Like, it just got born. It doesn't know what's going on. Like, it it's existed for a fraction of minutes. It's attached to Ripley in this weird way where it thinks it's like she's her its mother, which she kind of is, or sister like, genetically. Or like yeah. sister or something. Like she has this bond to Ripley. It, it more queen. so identifies with her than the alien yeah. is the thing. Like it sees more of itself in her, it seems like. Which and is Brad Dourif is fair. Because it, yeah. she does this newborn weirdly looks more like Ripley than it does an alien. It's like an exposed skull or something. Yeah. Like it it has more human features. It's such a I, I actually really love this final section. I always forget how like crazy it is when I start watching it because it's, you know, you just have your gun toting pirates and tough talking whatever and Dan Hedaya's head being ripped open and everything like it's really goofy. And then you get I guess you get a hint of this tone with the clone room. But then when it gets to this final section, it's just like so audacious and confident and different than anything that's happened before that I kind of just applaud all of the stuff that's happening. Like it's, it's just, 
like big budget body horror. I almost wish Cronenberg like set aside his misgivings and did get to do something like this because all of his body horror stuff is pretty low budget with the exception of maybe The Fly. Like that's his big studio he got, you know, mm-hmm. with like his his art in this vein. Like otherwise it's kind of low budget productions like if he was able to command $70 million. I, I don't know if it would be better than this, though, because this is so insane. Like, what a movie, you know? <laughs> but, okay. Okay, I have a, I have a thought. Right, oh. I'm just going to... Uh, no, this is totally something that I think about often, where, like, even though I don't want to live in a world where Richard Marquand's Return of the Jedi doesn't exist, because I do really mm-hmm. like Return of the Jedi, I'm still, like... There's some point in me that's like, hey, man, if I could, like, step over to that universe where David Lynch actually took, like, uh, George Lucas's offer to make Return of the Jedi, I would... David Lynch or, or Cronenberg? Because that also happened. No, it was but David Lynch that got offered. He had a sit-down meeting. They both, they both had... They were both on the table for that movie. Okay, well, I've only read the but... anecdote where David Lynch, like, he talks about, like... He, he had this... a burger with George Lucas, yeah. and they talked about it. Exactly. Yes, this and is true. And he was just like, oh, I want to sit down with George Lucas, because George is... Like, obviously, somebody in the industry that who's respectable and, like, makes independent films but on a different level. But he was like, yeah. oh, I was never going to take a Star Wars movie. That's, like, never a movie I want to make. But I'm like, in my brain, right. I'm like... But if George Lucas... Or if David Lynch's imagination got to populate, like, Jabba's palace with yeah. odd creatures... I and... just, like... There'd be something... I mean, A... I mean, either the movie would have been, like, amazing in a different way. Or it would have been, like... Uh, exactly the same, but George Lucas, and there would have been this great story about George Lucas and David Lynch fighting nonstop on set because they just uh. would not get along. But anyways, I feel like one of those things would happen, but I think about these things, like what would what would this movie have been if this director made this film? I think about that often, probably too much because that's just never happened. Like that happens so many times where like I see a movie and I'm like, oh man, if only that director that I wanted made this movie, right? Like, or that, that actor got cast in this part, I would have liked this movie. We, yeah. We've had this chat with uh, Django as like, oh man. If Will Smith was in it? Yeah, like what what would this movie look like if Will Smith starred in this film type mm-hmm. of thing rather than Jamie Foxx? So I, I, we, we get these conversations. So I totally get why like Cronenberg making Alien Resurrection would have been an interesting thing. But at the same time, I 100% understand why. Because like David, like the stories coming out of Alien 3 were like – Here's this young, like, so many, like, false starts, two directors that got dropped out, one that actually left before the final cut. Like, Cronenberg is, like, uh, was a big director at the time, but he wasn't a Hollywood director, so he wouldn't have gotten his way. I'm trying to think what his most recent project, like, Crash. Crash. Yeah, there's no way, you know, like, I, he oh, like, I have big studio clout. It's that's like, the not thing, really. Like, even a guy like Marty Scorsese, who was in the, who's making studio films for 30 years, was still fighting with studio execs in the 90s. 2000s yeah. like gangs in New York then, got taken away from him by all accounts like Junet basically quit the American film industry after this to return to France yeah. to make movies so so. it sounds like Fox Fox and alien films like take directors and eat them up and spit them out the other side after like aliens. they they meddle with the projects quite a bit yeah because which... even uh even their stories of Paul W.S. Anderson's alien versus predator like mm-hmm. he wrote an R-rated script I guess and then the studio showed up and said, actually, no, this should be PG-13. So then he had to go back and rewrite a PG-13 with a heroine. And his original script, too, had just a predator fighting an alien at the end. But then they were like, no, you need a human there. And so they and they just had the human surviving this battle. Whereas okay. then the studio was like, no, we like we need a, like a character fighting with the predator against the aliens. So he had to go back and make these changes. So it seems like the studio, Fox, was like, hey, man, like this is what we want. And... and 
creatives were stuck kind of, hey, I want to make an alien movie. This is what right. I have to do. So by all accounts, Cronenberg's read of the situation was correct. Like I would basically just be dancing to their tune kind of thing. Oh, yeah. I didn't want to do that. Yeah. Like we might have had some interesting visuals, but it sounds like Cronenberg would have had a really terrible time. <laughs> a really frustrating time. Yeah. So I, I guess I'm I'm happy with mostly happy with the movie we ended up with anyway. Well, uh, and, and we got Existence instead. I think like that's his big next sci-fi piece that he did. Yes, yeah. So we get some weird visuals over there yeah. anyway. Uh, so yeah, best of both worlds. <laughs> we got the best timeline on that. Yeah. Uh, but I, I I guess I briefly want to talk about we own a writer's character because she is a synthetic. The scene where they reveal that. Like, I kind of enjoyed this character, Di Stefano, played by Raymond Cruz. Like, he's so stoked about it for some reason. Yeah. It really stood out to me as just being like, oh, I guess synthetics failed like a hundred years ago, basically. <laughs> Which, uh, to be fair, in this universe, that totally, like, that totally tracks. Right. Like, We've since, seen like, Bishop's, several Bishop go bad. from Aliens is the only, like, successful android in these movies because even Bishop comes back at the end of Alien 3 like another version of Bishop, and he is fully like a Wayland crony. Like he is. Yes. Yeah. Like back to his like scheming self, where he's lying to humans to try to get company line. Like. Right. So the the difference with this one is they're androids built and designed by other androids, yeah. which results in like they they have this weird feisty attitude and like individuality that they hadn't anticipated. So well, they went under. So again, basically, there would happened. be this fascinating spinoff movie. I think to this movie because it's kind of similar to like the uh, do androids dream of electric sleep or like what they're trying to get at with like uh, artificial like intelligence. Like would an, would another Android who creates a, uh, its own version of its Android, would it then wire in itself the sense of like the things that it doesn't have itself? Like would mm-hmm. it, like would a Michael um, Fassbender uh, it's what's the first movie? It's David. And then the second movie it's anyways, uh, I thought it was still David. It's no, it's a different because it's a different model. Oh, the other one he meets. Yeah. Okay, I forgot. Anyways, uh, would they wire into themselves like if they are this like non free will creature? Would they work on this wiring in like a weird subconscious way? Create a more free will based creature, which is kind of this movie is saying yes, it would because Winona's mm-hmm. whole entire line of robots ends up just causing too much chaos and havoc because they are a little more sentient a little more free will based able right. to make their own choices it's odd though like it it's she seems self-determined but also it might be like some broader like well i have to save earth from itself because i'm programmed in some way by humans to protect them (laughs) so i need to stop this alien threat from making it back to earth like the thing that they're worried is going to happen is as soon as the aliens break out of their pen and start rampaging around the ship the autopilot engages and they start heading back to earth yeah uh and if they crash on earth or land on earth actually without crashing is the threat at the outset there will just unleash all these aliens on on earth and yes. it'll be you know disaster so sort of like life i guess uh they decide to try to destroy the ship instead there's not enough energy to just blow it up so they have to crash it and for some reason they just choose to crash right into paris and explode <laughs> <laughs> which I there's a huge nuclear explosion basically when their ship lands and 
goodbye Paris, I guess. Like I there guess, was there hey, was Jeanette must have uh he must be a Parisian who does not enjoy Paris. So like future Paris is going to be in trouble. Uh, there was a sequel like planned anyway, where it was going to be Ripley back on Earth. Yes. In like for real this time, you get like a glimpse of Earth in this movie. But I don't know what that story would be. Like, well, the, would there still be aliens in it? The special edition actually has a different ending where her and Cal, Cal are, are, are walking on Earth. Like they're about to walk out of the ship onto Earth. And be like, yeah. hey, what do we do from here? And she's like, oh, I don't know. I'm, I'm like, anything's possible. Figuring it out. Yeah, yeah. So great. I, I don't know. know. I, I just, oh. I find it. I find this movie doesn't explore it enough. And we we talked about this in our Coda episode that like I think why Ripley came, uh, Ridley Scott came back to the franchise is because in the first movie, he, he a big part of what he's talking about is AI. Like he wants to talk about artificial intelligence. And mm-hmm. then the new, his new hopeful trilogy. I'm hopeful because I want that third movie. Um, he's he's more developing that that storyline. Like David is the villain. Like AI is the is the conversation he wants to have. And xenomorphs are just kind of like the instruments of this AI. Um, mm-hmm. This movie has this great conversation it could have because Call's character is not AI. Like she is very like sentient. She is able to make her own choices. She she has morality within her because she sees what they're doing. She sees like me getting on to this big ship and crashing it is the most important thing. And I'll sacrifice these humans for the greater good. She has this moral play that she can have within herself, which is not something that robots typically do. Like you see Bishop, he has no morality. He just like follows orders. Right. It's really like Ripley's goodwill that is being successfully executed by Bishop in some instances. Yeah. But he's just an extension of his humans around him. Right. Whereas like call is scheming to go and do this, what she considers to be righteous thing by blowing up this ship and stopping these aliens. So therefore like she has this morality programmed with inside her, which is a fascinating thing in all itself. Her and Ripley have this weird conversation early on where it's just like, how can you keep on living with what you are kind of thing? Like talking to Ripley's odd clone form or whatever. And I don't know. It's just it's just this kind of I I think she just like, well, what else am I going to do kind of thing or (laughs) whatever? Like there's just there's a certain nihilism or something with this new Ripley character. Well, and again, I totally agree with you, but I'm like, is this just just like like sitting down with like philosophy 101 lines and just throwing them in there and not actually thinking about it? Or is he just because it sounds cool or is, is there a better screenplay that's out there that actually gets into like the purpose of a clone's life doesn't have like rights and a purpose of of a sentient Android. Do they have rights? Like there are ideas there that like Uh seems to be hinting at, but is he just hinting at it because he's not smart enough to write a smart screenplay? Like Joss doesn't write smart screenplays. He writes witty fun screenplays. Yeah, she has like one or two moments where she seems to be wrestling with something more like profound, but then a lot of it's just like action movie quips and stuff yes. and like just kind of being tough. And so what I is, don't know. What's Chune like elevating the script? What's is it Joss elevating himself? Like I, that's the stuff that gets frustrated with me because I'm like, oh, there's potential here to make like a really good piece of science fiction that just then kind of forgets about itself and turns into body horror sometimes and then action sometimes. And Well, I, I like where it went with the body horror at the end, though. And I, like, I that totally agree to be with you. I'm not adventure. trying to take away that. Yeah. I just think, because like the way I look at it is like um, Covenant has some great body horror in it, too, but also mm-hmm. has some good science fiction. Like I think that there's you can do both. Yeah. 
I just think this. Movie... I think I think the, the cloning dilemma is the closest this gets to some sort oh, of for sure. like real sci-fi parable or moral or something. Yeah, but you do get that like scheming scientist Doctor Wren who gets his as we talked about with the chestburster scene. Yeah. Uh, and then yeah, you have Call kind of taunting him over the PA system of the ship, which was <laughs> kind of fun. Father? Oh man, yeah. Can we get into father at all? Because like. I feel yeah. like that is if there's gonna be a Joss Whedon moment where we can call it like we can be like oh here's a red flag to who Joss Whedon is like in the 1970s they decided like hey let's let's make mother this like uh like matriarch the head of everything the computer yeah. the ship's computer yeah and then like no like in the in the even more future it's gonna be actually going back to a man's gonna be in charge of everything again like that and is that's like wrong yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's so terrible like it's like the worst little thing that i'm like i don't i don't care about this but it's a he- thing that's here and it bugs me so much also yeah. oh let's get into this how you have to breathe on things to get like identification identification what a great please. security system please yeah. try again like jeez. Oh, and then they yeah oh i can't like hacking it. in the future is just you have these little like pepper spray bottles of like <laughs> breath Someone's i guess breath. like uh it's i don't it's like Somebody sat down like, oh, we need a new like future way for someone to like like we not need, like, retinal a scan. We scan. saw that last year in Mission Impossible. <laughs> it's just like like yeah, like biometric can't ha- can't be a thing. So let's make it someone's breath. Someone someone go like this. <sighs> into I do the- kind of like that it's janky though. Like the first time we see it used, it fails. Like Dan Hedaya has to do it again. Yeah, <laughs> you know, oh, I have like the exact phrases in my head too. It says identification, please. Uh uh-uh, uh, please try again. Like that squirt, is a, squirt. Yeah. Please try again. Yeah. Squirt, squirt. Welcome, General. It's yes. like, all right. Welcome I hacked General it. Alvarez. Anyways, <laughs> uh, it's yeah. I don't know. I don't know, man. Uh, okay. I see something in the notes that I find fascinating because I would never consider it to be the thing that this is the thing I would naturally want to do after watching the fourth film. But you watched oh, yeah. AVP again. <laughs> yeah, I watched AVP last night. Uh, which version? Because, sorry, which version? Because there's a there's a R, there's a PG thirteen, and there is actually an, an R rated version that they that released later, like an unrated cut. I saw the cut I saw like seventeen years ago, which was the PG thirteen. Okay, okay. So I missed out on all that sweet violence, I guess. <laughs> um, but it's just it's just because like Fox chose this creative avenue instead of seeing what goes on on Earth, which is maybe the wrong choice. I don't know. Oh, it's uh, a potential with the success of Freddy versus Jason, who is like they were both like like long dead franchises that had yeah. characters and actors that have been aged out and had no real success on the horizon. Then all of a sudden, you put them in a versus movie, and it became like this giant movie. That's right. That's true. And then a year so, later, AVP had to happen. Alien. Whoever wins, we lose. I like, I was, remember real talk around like Terminator versus Robocop at this point too. Okay. Uh yeah, I re- I remember being successfully advertised to about this movie and going to see it with my cousin. To be fair, those uh, posters were dope, man. They were pretty good. Like you had <laughs> it one basically poster happens in the movie too. You have one poster where it was like a predator, one poster was an alien and it's like who will win type of thing was the question. And whoever like, wins we lose. Was yeah, whoever wins line. we lose. That's a great tagline. It's a great tagline. <laughs> uh 
a, a lot of stuff coming back just watching it of just being like wow this is so weird seeing like no dude there's like a frozen alien queen on earth <laughs> yeah. this whole time just like yeah <laughs> like, in shackles frozen like in under this, in a like, pyramid under this under the ice pyramid in antarctica <laughs> yep uh and every century, the predators come on down to Earth to hunt some aliens. Not just regular, not just predators, but the most giantest predators I've ever seen in my entire life, like hulked out predators. They're pretty cool. I don't no, know. No, they're pretty cool. But like, when you look at because we watched Predator Two for this podcast, when yeah. You look at them. They're like, like it's uh, Kevin Michael Richards or whatever the guy's name is uh, who played him, who's like six points, who's like seven foot tall. Is it Kevin Peter Hall? Kevin Peter Hall, that's who it is. Yeah, yeah. He's like seven foot tall, which he's tall, but he's like narrow. He's not like a bulked. Like these things are like easily two or three feet taller than everybody else, but they're also these like wrestler size. Like it's like Super Shredder in Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 2. Yeah. Like no, is... they're like eight foot broad shouldered predators show up in this one. Yeah. But if I think it's just the like daft premise in a way of like this pyramid hunting map from a video game basically yeah. it's almost like a cube like yeah. like puzzle thing it's kind of awesome changing. in hindsight now of just like set design and like they built like some weird like oh yeah ancient sumerian aztec egyptian crossover pyramid thing yeah. for them to run around in which is kind of cool but I don't know. It it's just it's it's fun and dumb in a way I, I enjoyed to okay, some as extent. Long as but the fun and dumbness I'm fully on board with. For, but yeah. just my purity when it comes to xenomorphs is so pure like it's so hard for me to break it. Because yeah. like there's so many things about this movie that are so dumb. The gestation period of all the, like the humans so fast. It's so it's fast. Crazy. Within, and the worst part is, Nathan, is that they yeah. with they within the narrative of the movie, they put a timeline on things. Because the doesn't the temple change every ten minutes or something? Every like ten minutes, it like reorganizes itself a little yeah. bit. Like which is hilarious. Doors to, close, which and is hilarious to me. Because, floors open. Yeah. Um, ancient races knew about seconds in our in our modern way of, of measuring time, right? Because like, and just mechanical geniuses. Because yeah. this thing, unless the predators are no, also predators maintaining it. it. But the thing is, like, but seconds and minutes and, and hours and are are human constructs around the idea of time. Like I mm -hmm. mean, like modern constructs like not even ancient constructs like that's the thing that's like every 10 minutes like there's like this weird every 10 minutes anyways i mean maybe they called it something different no, like they it's said like every one 10 minutes you just I, I remember that being frustrating because i was like wait that's every 600 seconds why 600 seconds like that's doesn't why make sense you, to me yeah anyways um here's the thing like they have this thing happening and there's like only like one or two sequences of like them morphing before the xenomorphs show up full grown and you're like yep. they have to like gestate and then and then burst and then grow all within 20 minutes like this movie makes zero sense of the plot they should have had them like stuck there overnight or something like that um and then on top of it all there's this one scene uh it's a great scene it's a fun scene until this happens where the first time a predator starts fighting a xenomorph He's like beating up the xenomorph. They're going back and forth. Like he, that's when he shoots the net, and the net starts to like creates that weird clothes on its head. Yeah. He eventually, the, the the predator eventually wins, but then little does he know there's a xenomorph up in the grates behind him or something. Then and stabs him from behind and lifts him up with his leg, his tail. Yeah. His tail that's like fifty feet long. 
It's a really long tail. It's a really but it's long basically tail. where we get the poster shot where yes. you have like the alien's head on one side and like a predator mask and it on the other. It works if if the alien has a 50 foot long tail. Like it's they're dangerous, man. Oh man, it just <laughs> it's like a not clever enough director to hot doesn't like put in his plot reasons like just moments of exposition of why things are happening like faster mm-hmm. or like hiding camera I mean, angles almost, so I can't tell that these this, this tale's longer. Reading reading the trivia on that movie, almost like the same problem with like Event Horizon of just like the shortest production schedule ever. It was like two months to shoot, four months post production. This thing's out. Like they had no <laughs> time makes, at all. No, that makes sense because, like I said, Freddy versus Jason came out in what two thousand three. Mm. And so they had to get I, it ready for the next August, summer kind it of came thing. Out August two thousand three. I remember seeing it in theaters, and then. 12 months a later, year later 12 yeah. months later in august 2004 is avp so yeah if they green fast track they fast track yeah. that movie and to be fair it looks fast track like there's problems with that there's movie. things i like about that pyramid and like moments with the predators being kind of smarter than they've ever been the like casting, with their technology and stuff the casting but, yeah. is horrible in that movie. you got spud from train spotting dude you That's... have you're right you have spud <laughs> from train spotting but you yeah. have like the most boring characters playing back actors playing boring characters, which mm-hmm. has always been Paul W. S. Anderson's problems with his movies. Like he is a terrible caster. I mean, he gets that dude from Resident Evil to be kind of the recruiter guy, but then he gets offed kind of unceremoniously yes. anyway. Which I, I have to imagine in the unrated cut, that dude's death is way better because he's trapped in one of those constricting net things. Yeah. Uh, but then he just gets like stabbed with a spear or something. Hey, don't imagine, like, don't imagine that that cut being better. It's just they put digital blood in. Oh, okay. I I thought maybe he'd get like fully cubed up, no. like in in Resident, in Resident Evil. Evil or cube. Yeah, there is a nice cut side moment where a predator just like slices an alien's head with a glaive or whatever, yes. Yes. and then turns away, and then its head slides open. And you're like, all right, there I you know. go. I remember that scene too, but I also remember being fr- frustrated because I was like, this predator knows it has acid for blood, and this giant thing is just gonna lie in the ground of this Aztec ancient rock thing that's just gonna go <laughs> drill a hole through this like giant mechanism of a pyramid. Yeah. I struggle with this movie nathan because yeah it's not campy enough for me it's completely not campy enough for me okay hot take controversial opinion i'm fully there everything you're talking about right now i'm fully there with alien versus predator requiem okay i don't remember that no, movie being good people but <laughs> hate that movie and i totally get why they hate it but for me it's like okay we finally got some violence like r-ratedness there's so many bad things about that movie. So many bad things, but I think it, like it's a, mostly the acting and cast oh, that I yes. remember. Well, and poorly. the and the weird the. So you, did you stay through the credits of this movie, or right up to the credits? I d- Wait, the the yeah. I mean, I saw the Predalien. Yeah, if that's what you're getting. The, the Predalien is like the main bad guy in the next movie, and it's its whole setup is disgusting. Like it like puts eggs inside of pregnant women. Oh. And so there's this whole like maternity ward of this hospital that's like women with burst out bellies, like pregnant bellies of like other aliens going to come out of it. It's disgusting. Oh man, it's like actually disgusting. But all the stuff that comes before that is like this. There's this beacon that gets sent to sent to Predator Planet, and we yeah. get this like cleanup, this like 
old school like i'm i'm not i'm a fully trained predator he gets called to clean up this teenager's mess like romp and on earth you know what that is a great idea because thus far most of what we've been seeing is like rite of passage teenage predators yes. trying to prove it yeah. whereas here you get like no this guy has seen so many hunts and he is they so one ready. like so there's three predators <laughs> yeah there's three predators that have to take down this pyramid of aliens and, and two of them die like nothing. Yes. Like it's not even a problem. Exactly. Yeah. This guy, one guy gets sent to clean up an entire city of aliens that's going on type of thing. Like, yeah, that's I'm how like, confident this predator is. Yeah, that's, how conf- that's how good this predator is. Anyways, the movie is terrible. I totally recognize it, but I think both of these movies are pretty terrible. So if I'm going to have fun with one of them, I want them to be a little more hard. Like I want it to be a little more gritty than yeah. AVP is. AVP is a little too clean for me. Like, they're in snow, and there's zero blood anywhere. It's like, oh, this is the whitest room. Where's all the blood? It's not there. Okay, cool. No, yeah, it's it's unfortunate that they kind of were restrained on it. it what did you think of the stunt casting of that film? Having uh, Lance Henriksen? Yeah. It really janks up that story about, like, because they basically make Wayland, like, a totally honorable, decent dude. Yeah. And it's like... It's like an evil megacorp in the other movies, so in, well, I don't know no, why the, you'd make thing, the founder the sequel, this like the sequel sympathetic guy. The sequel yeah. has a it's like last minute like teaser for future installments of uh, AVPR is yeah. uh, Yutani shows up and okay. she's evil. So oh, it's Yutani good. that's the evil part of Wayland Yutani. But here's the right. thing: then Ridley Scott shows up and says, "I don't care about any of this. We're gonna ignore yeah. all of this, including." Alien Resurrection. I guarantee you he does not count Alien Resurrection as part of his canon. Sure. Although there, there's some uh, uh, IMDb trivia. There's some quote for, or like thing described of James Cameron watching Alien versus Predator and being like, you know what? That was pretty good. Actually, that's probably the third best one. I know. I <laughs> and know. I don't know what he's talking like. Either. I'm assuming you're being respectful enough to include Alien in that list. <laughs> And then obviously your own movie is number one in your brain. So this is the third best one. He actually, like, I think he actually thinks that Aliens is the best Alien film. 100%. Of course he does. He made it. Like, <laughs> but like, you're Ridley allowed Scott, to be confident. Ridley Scott, you know, like, like only thinks it's like his movie is the best because like he's like everything else didn't do anything. Oh man, Dan O'Bannon had like a credit on AVP though. I know. Like maybe he came up with this kooky pyramid or something. He I, came I don't up with know. Story idea, right? Yeah. Like, yeah. So it wasn't just, it wasn't just, uh, like screenplay is Paul W.S. Anderson, but there's like three people credited for the story. So it's just like, uh, and then there's a separate like aliens created by Dan O'Bannon. So I think he came up with some measure of what we saw transpire. Oh yeah. Um, Like even the Ronald Shusset, who's the other writer for alien and gets all that. He also has, uh, a story credit. Yes. Screen story credit. Maybe it's like okay. it's just origin. Like there's something in the origins. Of- or like we had some vague ideas of like what it would look like if these things were on Earth or something. Yeah. Like there's some Maybe. reason where they legally had to give them a screen story. Like there's some note that they had somewhere about like the origins right. of the aliens. Like this is. Or there's some out. sort of history note that's actually kind of fun from like the Cold War. There's like, oh, there was this like weird energy flash detected by a satellite in 1979 on this island. Yeah. And. 
we just kind of what if that was some weird ancient alien pyramid (laughs) was like their creative idea instead of like a nuclear test or whatever that no one could admit to yes which is what it probably actually was yes but i think at some point like if there's an if there's a nugget of an idea somewhere they'll give you a screen story credit because they just don't want you to come back and be like Hey, you hey I, I thought of that. Yeah. 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 And I think there probably was. So Fox probably gave him a screen story credit just to be like, we're going to borrow this nugget. And then, because I've heard of the screen story credits going to people where it's like, hey, you know, this like this one idea, this like you took a whole book and it's like, actually, we don't want anything to do with the book. You just have like this location in the book that we really want to use in our movie about this other thing. And then they'll buy that book. You take that one idea out of it, put it into a movie. And it's like, oh, this is an adaptation. It's like, no, it's not an adaptation. We just needed this one thing. You're you're kind of reminding me of like Lawnmower Man, but then they went ahead and like Stephen King's Lawnmower Man. It's like no, 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 no. You just like the idea where there was a guy killed by a lawnmower at one point. That's not the story you're telling at all. (laughs) So please don't use my name. Yeah, he eventually Uh, actually. I think the IMDb credit is like uh, Stephen King for successfully sued. Yeah, it's like it's like but credit removed or something like that. He still gets listed yeah. in writer, but his, it says in brackets credit removed. Like short thing. story by or whatever, yeah, but but a credit yeah. has been removed. Um anyway, anyways, back back to okay, resurrection. But quick question for you, out of the four, the four proper quadrilogy of alien films, like and, and I'm again, I'm not being disrespectful towards this film cuz I do like it. This is my fourth of the favorites though. Okay. I mean, it's probably third for me because I am one of those grouchos that doesn't oh, like that they killed my guy Hicks, you know, okay. All right. like a big Michael Bien guy. You know, my dad really instilled that in me that Michael Bien was really cool. So Deadfall so, is an important movie to you. Deadfall is so great. It's kind of great, but it's not because <laughs> it's of him. Great, but it's not Michael Bien. <laughs> Michael Bien is like the worst part of the But movie. Michael Bien being there bewildered does help, <laughs> I think. Because he can't of, react to what's happening I at know. that level. I, I think know? there's that scene at the beginning of that movie where he's sitting in the cafe and a note is being like <laughs> being passed around to get to him. And it's like the worst version. Like I could I could imagine and it's supposed to be like sneakily passed from person to person. But this this the person like Nicolas Cage's brother is a terrible director and it just can't <laughs> fill this scene at all. And it's just like this is oh, this is so painful. It's. Oh, man. If there was ever a Coppola that was like, hey, I'm going to ride my fame based upon this last name, it's Chris. Chris Coppola. <laughs> That's the one. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Anyways. That's the bad nepotism. That is yeah. the bad nepotism. Yeah. Anyways. Okay. Um. Okay. That's fine. Sorry, I, sorry to do that to you. I'm by this, but, but it's okay. That Coda yeah. episode didn't go anywhere, huh? Like, you just didn't, didn't track it No, because... Like, I still prefer a fun vibe to a, like, Gen X bummed out near suicide vibe. <laughs> I never want that. Okay. So, okay. yeah. Okay. So but you there like it is. David Fincher. David Fincher is, like, his entire catalog is filled with, like, this deep nihilism. Yeah. But I don't know. I th- I prefer it in other, f- in other forms, okay. I guess. That's yeah. fine. I, I get it. I do... I just like, I don't know, you and I, I, I know how you feel about Zodiac, and I one of my favorite things about Zodiac is, like, there is no, like, he doesn't falsify the, like, the resolutionness of it. Like, uh, they kind of lean a little more positive than reality. They but, they lean yeah. because they, they're choosing a main character, which is Robert Graysmith, and they give Robert Graysmith as a character a moment where yeah. he says, I think you're it. But the audience is still left with being like, wait, what does that mean? Nothing, because nothing actually happened. Sure, sure. 
I think they're but just being true to the real. To, they're being true Ray to Graysmith's Smith. book, where he's convinced himself yes. that he knows. Yeah, which yeah. Is, Zodiac is an adaptation of, uh, mostly an adaptation of that book. Yeah, yeah. So, I know. I just I don't know. When I David Fincher is one of those guys like he has a like Gone Girl. That movie is nihilistic, man. I feel so. At the, I get. I feel so sad at the end of that movie every single time I watch sure, it. Yeah. No. There's like a certain like sometimes you want that bitter cold flavor. I don't feel he got to fully realize that though in that project, and then it got taken from him. Sure. I I just don't like what. Yeah, you're saying that like happened. Your biggest problem is that like, it's not a fully realized version of what could be. It's compromised in several ways. Okay. Like it's development hell shows. Yeah, yeah. Know? And I can I'm fully on board with that. I just yeah. I just because of that though, I put it above like this movie, which is just like oh man, this is the first time we're making a popcorn. Like this is Alien versus versus Predator prequel like this is not an alien film this is just like let's use aliens in a giant blockbuster popcorn like film. pirates versus aliens yeah this type of kind thing. of thing like, yeah. i guess just like it's just a silly romp where it's like we're not actually trying to add to the mythos we just want another movie and it's like a fun movie done by a good director but it's just another movie there's no real reason to have this as a film i guess so Anyways, I, that's my I, I weirdly this dug this though like i've it's so dumb but like here it is i wrote like a fan story based on this movie for like a school project in high school (laughs) like it was basically like part of the ship broke off and like crashed on earth with aliens still inside it yeah and they just had like some wet works team had to go deal with that in like a warehouse or something (laughs) so so, like i can totally get behind nostalgia because a lot of the times i have like odd opinions it's because it's based around nostalgia so this this is I'm fully on board with this. If you have a nostalgia reason for why this is an important movie to you, I'm on board. And I think I dig the idea of finally getting back to see what Earth is like in general, but yeah. we don't really get to do that. No, get <laughs> but do I that. would have liked to see the next movie too yes. if they okay. did go down that path. Gotcha. Uh, there's just enough things I liked about how they realized it. Like Ron Perlman leans back and shoots over that ladder. It's true. You know, he does almost kills his friends. It's really dumb. <laughs> it's, and it's like the when you watch the CG, it's like. Those are really bad shots. They're not straight. Like he's not shooting. He's just the same missing spot. everybody. Yeah. yeah. But then like, he finally. That scene actually always bothered me though, because like, why does uh explode? No, why does Gary Dordan just give up oh, so yeah, yeah. easily? No, he he <laughs> you gets know? like sprayed in the face with acid, and then all of a sudden he's like, I can't live a deal with life anymore. And you're like, is it that? I know you're dying. I know it's bad. But like, why are all your limbs dying too? Like, why? Like, you can't kind of kick your foot just yeah. a little bit to get dead, this thing off this of dead it. Dead like alien latched onto his foot, but he just has to like. It looks like he just has to. It's precariously hanging. Twist there. his ankle a little. <laughs> yeah. You know, but no, he's like he's lost all motor function of his lower half or something. The only way it would make sense to me is if it had hooked onto the foot of the other guy yeah, exactly because his legs are dead so yeah. he has no sensation in them yeah so he couldn't do that and, like, and then to and then save Gary his friends like i'm gonna unlatch myself and i'll knock the alien off of you as i fall 100 yeah. percent agree with you i never understood why i was like that's you this is survivable man this is survivable yeah and then i guess speaking of fan fictions there's apparently like stories of like well, that character didn't die because he <laughs> fell into water like thirty feet. Why would he be dead? He escaped on a on a skate pod and had more adventures. Oh, okay, like yeah, that's out there. So those CSI because, fans out there are like, yeah, all those yeah. CSI fans are like, wait a minute, that guy like in movie terms barely died. <laughs> barely like, died. I don't. 
There's other I don't people buy in the movie that, that really dead. die. This guy like doesn't die. He dies no, he just screen. falls into a puddle. That's no. like not even anything. Yeah. <laughs> no, I totally agree. No, it's it's one of those scenes where it just like it always stuck out in my craw too. Yeah. Um, but yeah, hey, let's I mean, get to the man, MVPs. I have a fun time with this movie. I really do. I've always had a fun time. I look forward to it coming out as a kid. I just like yeah. when I as growing up now, I've just like I've grown to more deeply appreciate the first film in this series, and I just it it's just when I think of the gradual like like evolution evolution and i'm like if you gave me alien one and then alien four next to each other and i was like what is what is this what happened what happened how do we get here <laughs> i would have been not have i'm not a mapped it myself but hey it happened so 18 years of, it's a uh, it's a fun movie it's not my favorite mm-hmm. alien but it's a fun movie i like all four oh. so okay uh i did the summary so do you want to crown a mvp first for yeah, us Yeah, for sure uh, so it was like we talked about it early on, but Brad Dourif is 100% my MVP. Okay. Uh, we Excellent. talked about this a little bit during um, Bad Lieutenant, Protocol New Orleans, when we did that episode. He just like – he just has like this way about him. Like when he's on screen, he he knows – he's one of those few actors who actually knows how to like draw, like walk that line where he's not completely over-the-top hammy corny, but he also recognizes the projects that he's in. So mm-hmm. in this movie, he does a good job of, like, when he needs to be serious and in the scene, he's in the scene. But when he can really, like, over-lavish it and have a, a lot of fun, he does that. And he does that in this movie. And I kind of oh. love it. I'm fully there for it. Like, right before his head gets chomped, it's just like, oh, it's even, a beautiful Even when baby. his head gets chomped, it's like he, like, bows his head because he's, like, sacrificing himself to this newborn. He so is in love with this he's newborn. He's so in on the mad science yeah. that they're doing up there. Yeah. Yeah. So... I don't know. And yeah. then like the scene, like you said, the scene where he's he's meddling with the xenomorphs and like and he's like oh. frosting it and he's like gr- gritting his teeth and having a blast. It's I don't know. Like it's so silly and fun. Anyways, and also, also got this like weird ponytail that's done up in like true. metal. These yeah. are the dumbest scientists I've ever seen in my entire life. They put these things in rooms where like I, they must not have known about the acid blood. I don't know they, how they don't know about it. But like mm-hmm. they put them, they put three in one room, and then these xenomorphs cleverly decide to kill one of them to escape. We didn't talk about this. They kill one of yeah. them so that it could burn through, and then they can escape. And I'm like, of course they can't. Like ah, I was so but be- befuddled by these like these scientists. Like they basically use that idea in AVP also, like in an almost more absurd way because ostensibly the. Predators have been hunting, like, yes. the same brood of aliens on Earth for, like, oh, centuries and centuries. Yeah. And only now do they finally go, like, wait a minute. We should break the queen out. Yes. We can do that. Yeah. And then they, they melt one of their own onto the, like, well, And chains. even then, like, beyond that, they also, uh, like, when they're injured, they whip their own blood at the predators as well type of thing, right? Actually, and, yeah, that that's and, kind of an and, okay bit. And it makes him lose <laughs> his armor, like, his fancy armor, so he goes down to bare basics. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's... I don't know. It's blood it's, slinging. It, but it's just one of those things where those scientists are like, are they, these are not smart people. These are not smart people. They didn't get the best of the scientists. But to be fair, no. how often times do you actually watch a movie where you're like, oh, there's the smart scientist? Like, how often are scientists smart in movies? Not very often. They're actually pretty dumb most of the time. And I know a real yeah. scientist, like, and I know some of his friends. They're smart people. They think they have to think through all the steps because they know that, like, if I make this mistake early on. All this work doesn't get canceled, and it's like, 
No, so a real scientist, like, they think about it so methodically. These guys are not thinking about it methodically. They're just moving. They're no, you almost, yeah, you almost want, like, Final Destination 3 style, like a choose-your-own movie <laughs> yeah. thing. And it's just like, should we do that? No, that would be a terrible idea. Yeah. And then the movie just ends because yeah, they like, have smart oh, yeah, scientists. You, you figured it out. We were able to keep these aliens. It's like, should we put three in the same room? No, 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 no. The, it says right here they have acid blood. Oh, yeah, thanks, John. And then they, <laughs> they split them up and it's yeah, fine. Exactly. <laughs> no movie. <laughs> yeah. No. yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, no, so Brad Dourif, he's just having a blast through all of his scenes. He's, he's like, unfortunately not in the movie enough because by the end of the first act. He disappears for like a good hour. Yeah, because yeah. like, by the end of the first act, he's gone, but then he does, comes back in the most lavish of ways. I should say, I'm very, very, like, I want to be very clear. I picked Brad Dourif. Sigourney Weaver in this movie is a very, very close second because okay. she is having a blast and proving her like, I am like a powerful woman. I'm demanding of like, I, I can do whatever I want and I'm going to do it. Mm-hmm. Like Sigourney Weaver has always been an important person throughout my like life growing up watching movies. Like she's been in the alien films and Ghostbusters and those are like two important films to me. But like when you read about her real life stuff and like how much work she did for women in Hollywood, like in a time where it was hard for women to star in their own films, let alone action films. Like mm-hmm. she said no to this alien movie and made the producers come back to her and give her $11 million. Like, and then also producer credit, which means she would have got back end deals if the movie was a success. That yeah. is like, that's like next level. Like, Oh no, she's, she knows what she's worth. She goes after what she has earned in her career. I appreciate that. And she's having and the- a blast as, as, as Ripley in this film. There was also notes to the effect of like, if someone writes a really good Ripley story, she could come back to this character oh, again. She was fully on board with uh, that Neil Blomkamp Alien Five. I'm gonna put Alien Five oh, in quotations because yeah. it's actually an Alien Three film that he just wanted to erase all of the other Alien films. It was an okay. Alien Three film because uh, Hicks and Newt were alive in his version. Oh, okay. He was just gonna ignore. Oh. Is that there's like stories coming out to the effect of like yeah Ridley Scott kiboshed this or something yeah because they fair? Ridley Scott wanted to make Prometheus and Co- Covenant and he yeah. didn't want the the series to be distracted by Ripley anymore okay so hmm which I'm anyway 100 on board with because Neil Blomkamp is not that good of a director <sighs> yeah such promise though such promise on. yeah that yeah. yeah yeah that first movie. I think I movie. still like Chappie more than Elysium, but oh, no. I don't know. Oh, no. Those Chappie, rappers are in it, man. Chappie they're is they're so, so funny. Painful to watch. I cannot stand those rappers. Like, I don't mind their music. I don't mind their stuff, but just as actors. Oh, D. Antwerd. As, as yeah. comedians. Like, they're. And just the choice that he made to make, like, Shalto Copley's, like, Chappie, like, this weird gangster robot. Just. Oh. oh, it's so painful to watch. And just the power of the PlayStation 4, you know? Like, you could just house an entire consciousness in 10 of them. Uh, <laughs> like... Sigourney's in that movie. She's the big bad guy in that film. Oh, man. What? And well, I thought Jackman. Hugh Jackman was Hugh kind Jackman. of the henchman, maybe? He's, like, yeah. the, the lead one, but, he, like, behind the scenes is Sigourney Weaver type of thing. Like, the puppet master yeah. is... Yeah. What? Oh, I don't man. know, man. I'm just saying, that guy... Like, Elysium, Elise is, like, a competent film, like, when it comes to, like... Oh, this movie was put together competently. I might not like all the parts of it, but at least there's like not an annoying thing that just sits there the entire time. Because mm-hmm. that is Chappie. Chappie is so annoying, and he's just there oh the, the actual robot. Time. 
you don't because, care for? Because are you not only... a Johnny Five fan? <laughs> no, no, I'm only anti uh, Chappy because his entire shtick is based upon this like borderline racist kind of concept of like these very white, very Dutch South African rappers who kind of like are misappropriating black culture and African it's culture. It's super weird. It's yeah. It was also just this like Chappie. window into a cultural like zone. I yes. had no idea it was happening. And then they put this onto Chappie who's also played by a white South African. I just, yeah. I have this like, I'm sitting there being like, this is uncomfortable. Nobody else is mm-hmm. uncomfortable. This is uncomfortable. Whereas at least yeah. with Elysium, like there's some really bad parts of that movie, but at least there's like Shorto's having a blast in that film and he's great. He's like, oh, I, I had a hard time like buying him as that sinister, but yes, <laughs> okay. yeah, just thinking back on it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, on to my MVP. Yes. Brad Dourif was like the guy to dethrone uh, on my list. I, I My first note before I even watched the movie was just like Brad Dourif is it probably MVP. Uh, I decided to go with a little group of people, though, because a sequence really stood out to me. And I want to recognize the people that put that together, mm-hmm. which is the newborn's death scene. <laughs> is so insane and messed up so like several several people had a hand in that uh david penicas is the newborn mechanical face design Mm -hmm. so like letting that thing emote the way it does Mm -hmm. uh then you got jordy shell and chris halls did the designs for that creature Mm -hmm. and finally leslie schatz did the sound when that thing screams when its arm gets pulled back I don't, I don't, I can't explain what my reaction is. It's like sort of heartbreaking, oh, but also like. When it's panicking, just, when it's panicking. Oh, it's insane. It's, yeah. sucked, it's like, what am I supposed to be feeling right now? Because this is a monster like, trying to kill everybody. But at the same time, I feel real bad. Like this is the worst death anything has suffered on film. Maybe yeah. it's and we so watch brutal. Every second of it. Like that's the thing, yeah. right? Like it's. Oh, it's fe- it's it looks so betrayed by Ripley and yeah. everything. Oh, and it's it's so insane. Sad. When its guts fall out and then get sucked back in, it's like they really committed to this like horrific death scene. Yeah. And they put it Which, all on their camera. The like legit like how that came together, I guess, was like at some juncture this was just gonna be some random merc get sucked out a window. Yeah. And they were just like, This is so insane. We need to like do more with that sequence. Yeah. Like that's that's too insane of a death to just be a throwaway bit. So they hang their hat on it at the end of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> and wow, it's still grotesque and sad and weird all at once. So I just wanted to recognize the team of people that brought that together because what a thing yeah <laughs> what an animatronic feat i guess was something that else man i don't know yeah I, it's, that's great i meant to talk about it during the episode because it is one of those scenes where it's like this is like uh practically speaking really well done scene but also Ugh. just like storytelling wise like terrible yeah in, like a really compelling way it's i don't know it's weird yeah but yeah great so yeah uh, so thanks to those people for putting together just this bizarre Frankenstein-y moment <laughs> at yeah. the end of that movie. So, yeah. Uh, questions for yeah, so, answering? Uh, this week, Nathan and I are, are going to get to be able to get together to see each other in person for the first time in like, what, eight months? Nine months? Uh, oh, when is it? Oh, no, I well, by. I briefly I saw by. you. Yeah, I yeah, briefly I saw you. But we didn't yeah. really get to hang out. So we're going to go see a movie this week. We're going to get to go see... Uh, Prisoners of, of Ghostland, of the Ghostland, which is a Nick Cage new movie that's getting buzz. Um, but it's part of uh, Calgary's 
uh, Calgary's Underground Film Festival, they have these like a couple times a year. They do this thing called Off the Cuff. Oh, okay. And so I was gonna ask Nathan like, uh, what what um what festival experience does he have, and if, if you prefer Calgary Underground Film Festival Cuff or the Calgary International Film Festival or SIF. I think I probably do prefer Cuff because the main thing we do annually with them is their like cartoon thing. Okay. They do like Saturday morning cartoons with at, uh, at the plaza, right? When it was open. yeah, it, it's normally at the plaza. This year it was just kind of live streamed, but yeah. that worked too because I'm not great at waking up early. <laughs> so if it's in my own house, I can just wander out and eat my own cereal. Yeah. And uh, watch just bizarre, forgotten cartoons from back in the 90s and 80s and whatever yeah so yeah uh that that was my favorite element of of their show that they put together i haven't been to sif in a while i think the the last thing i really remember was like take shelter with michael shannon yeah didn't we see that together we saw that together yeah, yeah. but i think uh, i don't know if i've seen anything at that festival since then yeah it's too so. I'm, I'm fully on board with you like i've i've gone to see way more cuff stuff recently than I have Sif. It Sif for a while feels like it hasn't gotten anything like big for a while since yeah. like Take Shelter. Like we that's I know that's where we saw Trick or Treat was at Sif. Um, oh, okay, we got to yeah. see that months before anybody else did. Like that was like because that movie existed in development hell, like in post production hell forever. Um, yeah. So we got to go see that uh, at Sif, but then Sif like then Cuff showed up and started taking all like the, the good B movies almost like. That's where I went and saw, I saw, like, they did, like, that's where I saw Mom and Dad in theaters. That's when I saw, like, Color Out of Space and Man. Didn't we see Mandy there in theaters, too? Or is that, uh, that was... I, I saw Mandy in theaters, but I don't know if that was part of their programming or, or not. Or it just might have been just Eau Claire Market. We just went and saw on our own type of thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, I just, I've seen far more movies through Cuff than I have through Sif. But then oh, I still have, I... like, early days of, like, I saw, like, Napoleon Dynamite before anybody knew about Napoleon Dynamite on like the market circuit and I saw it at at, at SIF. I saw it at oh, like, okay. the globe type of thing. So yeah. yeah. I'm also remembering like uh also part of the Underground Film Festival was this kind of found footage guys. Like they just find weird old tapes mm-hmm. and like put together a program of oddities. So it'd just be like local commercials for like a chiropractor and like just oddball stuff that would be lost to time were it not for scrounging (laughs) for stuff at like thrift stores and whatever so they they put together a funny program of maybe best forgotten but some of it's like really funny and it's it's quirky small town kind of way so Mm -hmm. yeah it, they put together a good show overall. The yeah, Film and, Festival. and because they do these like um, check-ins throughout the year called off the cuff, you end up getting like more experiences throughout the year. Because like, what are the chances that uh, in April is when their typical show is April or March um, mm-hmm. that you're going to have the good stuff that's rolling through festivals at that point? Like, your your Calgary kind of only hope that we get some Sundance films in April or March, but we're really not going to get Sundance films until September, uh, which yeah. is when SIF shows up. But even then, um, yeah, so the fact that they do it throughout the year, like Prisoners of Ghostland was a, a, a Sundance film this last year. And so okay. now we're kind of getting it through them only a few weeks before SIF actually starts, which is actually kind of fascinating to me. But hey, that's okay. I'm excited to see this movie. Uh, so yeah, yeah, Cuff has definitely been like more fortuitous for me than it has than the other one. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's just more in my wheelhouse or something, yeah. but catering to genres I care about more. <laughs> But yeah, yeah, definitely because we're not seeing those movies on such large scales. 
happening as much anymore too, right? Like it's, there's a lot of good genre films out there and we just don't get to see them on a prestige level. So Cuff kind of brings that spotlight, right? Yeah. So there you go. Local film festivals. Local film festivals. Um, Well, that's, that's all we got for this week. Thanks for listening. Uh, If you have questions or feedback or I guess tales from your local film festivals, you can email ryanokavio.ca or nathanokavio.ca or you can tweet at okvideopodcast. Do you want people to say stuff on Instagram? <laughs> I guess oh, they can. They can, but I mean, like, I'm, and I will reply, but it's not really a chatting place. I mean, they could message me, right? So. Yeah. Um, but hey, next week, did we save the best for last this batch? What could be more terrifying than an undead machete wielding maniac on a spaceship? That's right. Jason X is our final space horror film. Oh, my goodness. Uh, yeah. So there excited. you go. I'm so the, excited. The I've, precursor to Freddy versus Jason, which I, we inadvertently talked about. If um, <laughs> if people out there notice that we kind of just do, we do eight movie batches. This is a ninth movie batch because Nathan and I couldn't agree on like a, if we should do nine because we both agreed on the first seven we did in this batch. And then it was whether or not we wanted to do Alien Resurrection or Jason X. And we just decided to put both on there. Because... We each wanted one of them. So, yeah, so. W- which we have the the franchise pictures nine episode precursor which so in in all fairness in the planning stages that was not the case we weren't gonna do that and then we found out about that last film and then added that last film at the last second too so yeah yeah but anyway so yeah join us next week for that uh until then i'm nathan and i'm ryan bye bye for now